This is the book of Job. So you've all come to be cheered up by that, have you? If this was a postgraduate, or probably even an undergrad course in the book of Job, we would spend a lot of time on this section that brings us up to chapter 38. A, a good section, a, a deep section. There are a lot of riches here, but there's only so much you can mine in a 25 to 30 minute sermon, 35, 40 minute sermon. So we're going to fly over this at 20,000 feet, if you would. And I'm going to ask you, please do the readings. Read this. Let it get in you. Because there are going to be times you need words. And some of those words won't come from Job. Some of those words won't come from God. You're going to need some of the words from Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, and even Elihu. He is, um, these are not, they're not always wrong. And so some of the words you're going to need. And the book of Job was so important. This story was so important. Please remember, it predates all other Old Testament books. By anywhere from 300 years up to 500. Some say longer. I, I, I don't want to stretch it longer. But this is hundreds of years older than the book of Genesis. This is the story God uses to introduce himself to us. Let that just settle in your brains for a while. Remember where we are in the book. We see the behind the curtain story. We know something that the players don't know. Because we've seen chapter 1 and chapter 2. Job has not, Job will not, neither will his friends ever see this. And the big, the big argument, if I, that's just the wrong word, but if you'll allow me. Between Satan and God is this. God thinks you are worth dying for. God thinks you are worth living for. God thinks you are wonderful, made in his image, and he wants to bless you. Satan believes you are not worth the effort. That you are so corrupt that you will never love God. This will never be a positive for God. Having people was a bad mistake to Satan. He says they'll only love you as long as you bless them. Cut the blessings, they will quit loving you, and you will see the character of these beings, and they are not worth you caring for them. That's the argument. It's the same argument going on today, by the way. Well, shortly Satan goes after Job and ruins his life. And don't, don't play the game of, yes, he ruins his life, but he's blessed a lot later at the end. Don't rush to the end. And even when you're blessed a lot later, you still remember the kids you lost. You still remember who you were before the disaster hit. So there are going to be scars there forever. His friends come to sit with Job and things are good. Things go well until Job complains about his state and mentions a little bit about why God's not acting and his frustration. And their view of God and the universe, his perfect nature within the universe, requires them to believe that no, 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 there, there is there's something wrong in your life, Job, that is the trigger that has caused this. Because God would never allow unless there is evil. And there can never be pain unless there is evil. They believed in a balanced, predictable universe. Even though the universe around them did not look balanced, 
or predictable. This was their defense mechanism to get through the day. Christians still do this. No matter what happens, somebody in the room will say, well, I'm sure it's all a part of God's plan. And I'm going, some of it isn't. Some of it's sin. Some of it's a pain caused by two innocent people, by guilty people. God did not plan for us to, to live in that kind of environment. Sin entered the world. And in fact, we even coaxed it around a bit. We are in some way responsible, but also the universe is a difficult place. It kills things. Have you not noticed? The scientists that work in the biology field tell us, and I, I believe them, I've read an awful lot of their stuff, and I believe them, that 99% of all species that have ever lived on the planet are now extinct. That's a lot. The universe is really good at killing things. And an easy statistic to remember, even for somebody like me, is one out of one dies. We're always surprised. We always are. You know, my, you know, my 96-year-old grandmama died, but that really threw us because she was looking perky there at the end. No, no, we all go, whether we're 20 or 120. So what do we do? We try to make it all make sense. It's got to make sense somehow. We've got to put it in boxes. The speeches go back and forth predictably until the pattern just gets kicked in chapter 26. The pattern we're used to is now gone. And Job goes on a lengthy speech that is so back and forth in his own head, people, some people wonder, is it all in his head? Or is this a digest of arguments going on around him? A digest of weeks and months of arguments. But we take up the story today with the last chapter of Job's speaking in chapter 31. Job does a public, exactly what the Charpentiers were asking us to do today, uh, Willie in particular. He does a ruthless and public moral self-check. I can think of nothing more dangerous than that. Really, to stand before any group and say, I want everyone to help me to find a fault in me. Guys, if that was what I was asking you to do, this would be a really short contest because you'll find it like this. Think of what Job had to be driven to to stand before all of his people and say, find if there's a fault. That every time that David says that, it throws me. David and, and in Psalm 139, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And by the way, I love it that he starts with that because um, before you check the actions, please check my heart. I had good intentions most of the time. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the new way, in, in the way everlasting. That's searching it's a scary thing to do. I know there's, as C.S. Lewis said, not only do we know our own evil, what we need to realize is that God knows more evil about us than we do. And asking him to search seems a bit scary. So, Job ups the ante in a major way here by standing before God, and it is believed his entire community is present at this point, and challenging them to find any evil in his life it goes on at some length. 
his roles as husband, father, community leader, his history, and even his heart. Think about how, if you did that on Twitter today, that would be the never-ending story. All of the replies. We are good at eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, therefore making ourselves judges of others. We are good at finding their weaknesses. But he, like Elijah on Mount Carmel, says, let's just reveal everything and let's go. I want to give you a flavor by picking passages out of Job 31. If I have walked with falsehood or my foot has hurried after deceit, let God weigh me in honest scales that he will know that I am blameless. If my steps have turned from the path, if my, uh, my heart has been led by my eyes, that's a great phrase to have in your head, by the way. If my heart has been led by my eyes or if my hands have been defiled, then may others eat what I've sown and may my crops be uprooted. If I've denied justice to any of my servants, whether male or female, when they had a grievance against me, if I have denied the desires of the poor or let the eyes of the widow grow weary, if I have kept my bread to myself, not sharing it with the fatherless, if I've seen anyone perishing for lack of clothing or the needy without garments and their hearts did not bless me for warming them with fleece from my sheep, if I've raised my hand against the fatherless, knowing that I had influence in court, then let my arm fall off in the shoulder. Let it be broken off at the joint. Wow. He goes on. And, and chapter 31 is an amazing chapter. And every time I read chapter 31, I, I come across a great and grand truth. Job was a better man than I. And yet he suffered. Oh God, did he suffer. And I'm not taking the name of the Lord in vain. We're talking about God to God and with God. This is still our struggle. The oldest story in scripture is still our struggle. And he even talks about, can you find any time that I've ever worshipped the wrong thing, another god? Maybe the sun, maybe the moon, which was a hugely important worship center in Mesopotamia. He challenges anyone who know him to pick out a single time where he gloated, oh, this is a biggie, gloated over an enemy's downfall. Be really careful as we enter the political season that you do not divide from each other regardless of your politics and the passion behind them and that you do not gloat when a politician fails or falls. That you do not gloat when an enemy falls. Don't do that. Job says, have a look. Margaret Thatcher was, was Prime Minister of Great Britain about the time we left actually um, and very beloved by the, the, the conservatives hated by everybody else, and it's amazing since then the way they've painted the picture. When she died a few years ago after contracting Alzheimer's, the number one, uh, number one song downloaded in Britain and played on local radio was The Witch is Dead from The Wizard of Oz. I don't care if you're left or right, there's a problem there. Let's be very careful. Job goes, you look up, it, try to find a time of gloated over the fall of anyone, and he denies anyone to pick out a time when he didn't feed the hungry, where he lusted after a woman, or when he mistreated anyone who works for him. And then the chapter ends with the phrase, the words of Job are ended. 
but the book isn't. Most people think Elihu or Elihu is, um, it was the recorder of the argument that uh, standing, we talked about that, the mediator, he was the recorder for the community, like a court reporter, but different. He's still part of the community. And he's, he's got something to say now. We'll take a look at the first 10 verses of chapter 32. So, these three men stopped answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. But Elihu, son of Barak al-Babazite of the family of Ram, became very angry with Job for justifying himself rather than God. All right, that's the whole point, isn't it? He was also angry with the three friends because they had found no way to refute Job. Elihu is just not, he doesn't believe they brought their A game, and yet had condemned him. You didn't refute him, but you condemned him. So he even sees a bit of injustice there. Now, Elihu had waited before speaking to Job because they were older than he. But when he saw that the three men had nothing more to say, his anger was aroused. So Elihu, son of Barakal, the Buzzite, I don't know why we have to know his family and that he was a Buzzite. I guess that was important at some point in history. Um, I am young in years, and you are old. That is why I was fearful, not daring to tell you what I know. I thought age should speak. Advanced years should teach wisdom. But it's the spirit in a person, the breath of the Almighty, that gives them understanding. It's not only the old who are wise, not only the aged who understand what is right. Therefore, I say, listen to me. <laughs> that's, that's who he is. I, too, will tell you what I know. Okay, sweet setup. This fellow first goes after the three friends of Job, as you saw, for not arguing well, didn't do it. And he seems, we don't want to be judgmental. He seems a little full of himself and overconfident. I'm just going to let his words here in Job uh, 30, um, 31, 17, uh, 32. My crack editor, Laurie Lee, caught my error and changed my notes. <laughs> She comes in several times and she'll go, I have a question about your notes. So far, it's not been theological, but we all know that day is coming. I, too, will have my say. I, too, will tell what I know. For I'm full of words. That's always a problem. Always a problem. Full of words, and the spirit within compels me. Inside, I'm like bottled up wine, like new wine skins, ready to burst. I must speak and find relief. I must open my lips and reply, I will show no partiality, nor will I flatter anyone. For if I were skilled in flattery, my maker would soon take me away. That Again, that balanced universe that he's trying to go. No, if I'd done wrong, he wouldn't let me talk. Really? Hmm. God will take me away. In other words, do good and you are blessed. Do evil and you are punished. And we can tell if God likes you by what happens in your life. The oldest story we have in the scripture says that's a lie. The oldest scripture we have in, this, in, in, in our world and in our faith tells us that horrible things can happen to you your entire life and God loves you best. We cannot judge by what we see where God's love is. And so when Jesus says God is love and loves all and is not willing that any should perish, 
why don't we take him at his word? Regardless of what we see. True, Ecclesiastes hadn't been written yet, but Elihu could have at least taken a bit of time to, to be open to the concept that his theology might be wrong. So he goes on a long rant. Spoiler alert, the next speaker will not speak for several chapters because Elihu goes on and on, absolutely convinced that no one can answer him. No one knows as much as he does until he is finally interrupted, by the way, by God. Yikes. That's not the one I'd like to interrupt me. I would like to have a really good friend say, hey, Patrick, you know, why don't we go out to lunch and stop the sermon right now? That would be nicer than God coming in and say, who is this? Which is what he's, that's how he leads. Who is this? This is talking out of complete ignorance. I don't want, I don't want that. So if you're praying, not that. That's not what I want. Oh my goodness. That whole idea. Uh, chapter 33, he says, Job's absurd to say he's clean and clear of sin because he's being punished. And if you're being punished... That means you're sinful. It was Goebbels, Hitler's propaganda minister, who said, if you tell a lie, uh, if you tell a lie big enough and keep repeating it, people will eventually believe it. He got the concept from Hitler's Mein Kampf, but he's the one who put it, condensed four or five paragraphs into this. If you tell a lie big enough, why does it have to be big enough? Because it has to be so startling, people think, well, it has to be true, or he wouldn't say such an absurd thing. If you tell a lie big enough, long enough, eventually they'll believe it. And I'm afraid that applies to theology as well. He says, God must have already talked to you, Job, about this, because God speaks to me in dreams and visions, so he must have spoken to you. It's called mind reading. It's a false... Um, it, it's a faulty thinking. I've thought several times about doing a special class here. Um, and I'll tell you why I hesitate as well. I'll tell you what. At least 12 weeks on straight thinking and crooked thinking. About thinking errors we make. And how we mishandle truth, lies, memes, ideas. Uh, everything from um, you know, mind reading to uh, poisoning the well to post hoc ergo propter hoc. The, uh, after this, therefore, because of this. But it's not a Jesus-centered thing. And everything I do here is Jesus-centered. So I'm thinking about doing a Zoom class later. And I know everybody at this point hates Zoom. You know, I do. Uh, I'm trying to figure out where to put it. But if you're interested, especially as we enter an election year. Oh, I'm sorry, we're almost done with it, aren't we? I don't remember what day it is. I'm hoping it's Sunday. Or we've all blown it. Anyway, let me know later if that would be of some interest to you. Moving on. I want to give you a taste for his speeches here. For there's a consistent theme. Elihu is, um, is smart and wise. He knows his stuff. And Job is a liar, a dishonest sinner who should shut up. This is not helpful when you enter a conversation thinking you're the smart one and the other person's the bad one. This does not help either party. 33, please. Pay attention, Job, and listen to me. Be silent. I will speak. If you have... <laughs> sorry. I have three grandsons. My five-year-old's never quit talking. Uh, he was born on just talking. He doesn't take a breath. My eight-year-old was looking over at him as my five-year-old was on my lap just talking to me during the movie. And Finn goes, 
Ollie, you are doing this. This is what we need. So, got it. If you have anything to say, answer me. Speak up, for I want to vindicate. I want you to prosper and do well. All of the other three said the same thing. But if not, then listen to me, be silent, and I will teach you wisdom. <laughs> okay. It would take a long time before Jesus walks here to let us know what God thinks about religious people and any others who claim to speak for him but live and speak with pride and arrogance and judgment against others. And spoiler alert, it does not turn out well for them. Chapter 35, Job, Elihu tells Job that he's too small, too insignificant to ask God questions. Yeah, God's not even concerned with you. Look at 34 and verse 10. So listen to me, you men of understanding. Far be it from God to do evil, from the Almighty to do wrong. Okay. I don't think the Lord does evil either. Is that the question? The question is, why has evil hit Job? It, he gets into a circular reasoning. You're punished because God is good and right. Because God is good and right. He punishes only when you've done wrong. Therefore, you're hurting. Therefore, you've done wrong. Circular reasoning would be another one of those classes. Let's just pop to 36, 2 through 4. And this makes me question his mental state. Truly. I think he's getting unbalanced. Bear with me a little longer and I will show you that there's more to be said in God's behalf. I get my knowledge from afar. I will ascribe justice to my maker. Be assured that my words are not false. One who has perfect knowledge is with you. Are we all off team Elahu now? I think we all are. We're going to burn that t-shirt. We're no longer going to, you know, the foam, big foam war number one uh, Elahu. I think we're off now. Good, good. He goes on a long rant. We're about to wrap it up here. I'll, I'll give you another uh, a warning here. A warning. <laughs> Wake up. Um, we actually, remember the invitation song and the leader that would lead it? My dad was preaching a sermon, and one actually fell asleep. And so dad stepped up. Nothing was going on. Dad started leading the song. He thought he'd just go for it. He and swallowed a fly. Choked and gagged and choked and gagged. Nobody did anything about it. So he eventually worked his way out. Everybody's just staring at him as he goes on out. Uh, the, somebody woke up song leader. We had an invitation song, nowhere to go. Anyway, my, my father was a very scriptural man. He finally decided he couldn't get rid of it, therefore... He was a stranger, so he let him in. The, um, <clears throat> Elihu was saying, you just, the, the way the universe is designed, Job, you've got to be a sinner. And just look at this. Job 36, 27 through 33. He's still capable of great beauty in his speech. When Elihu does go off the rails, he is still a human being. We may not be on his team, but we're not against him. He's a human being, loved by God anyway. And look at what he can say about God. He draws up the drops of water, which distill his rain to the streams. The clouds pour down their moisture, and abundant showers fall on mankind. Who can understand how he spreads out the clouds, how he thunders from his pavilion? See how he scatters his lightning about him, bathing the depths of the sea? This is the way he governs the nations. And provides food in abundance. He fills his hand with lightning. And commands it to strike its mark. His thunder announces the coming storm. Even the cattle make known its approach. 
That last line just cracks me up, frankly. It's almost like the last line of the book of Jonah. When Jonah's really upset, God didn't kill all the people. And God says to him, well, think of all the people that would have died and the cattle. That's just hilarious. Uh, you'll find next week that God can be sarcastic because God's going to enter. But that last little bit that Elihu said actually leads us into where we're going to get started next week. Mark, please come on up. I've, I've held you off there too long. We're going to leave Elihu at this high point when he is praising God. I'd rather remember him that way. And we'll come a little bit at it next week, but not that much. For now, learn this. Elihu has said something he does not understand because he has spoken of a science that is not known in Mesopotamia and will not be known for a very long time. And God is about to answer it telling his version of the creation story hundreds of years earlier than Moses in chapter 1 of Genesis. God says, this is how I make it. And he's going to refer back to Elihu's talking about a lightning, clouds, and water. And brothers and sisters, this book is taking a hard turn. And there are some surprises that await us. Do not be discouraged. God has something to say. And even with us, even now.